0: The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Father's Day is, I think, uh, an amazing day, an important day, but also it's a day that I think has a a ton of different emotions and mixtures. You know, all of us uh, have had different experiences um, with our fathers or perhaps um, being a father. And so for some of us, you know, um, Father's Day is awesome as we remember fond memories with our dad. You know, perhaps learning to, you know, play baseball or play a sport or our dad loving us, walking alongside of us. You know, others of us, though, Father's Day is uh, a, perhaps a difficult day because our father maybe wasn't there. You know, maybe they skipped out and they, they left. And so Father's Day is one where it's just kind of like a void, you know, or your dad was there, but he wasn't, you know, he was physically present, but emotionally he was distant. And so, you know, Father's Day is there where you're you're kind of left with this mixed bag of saying, man, you know, like, I guess I'm I'm glad dad was here, but he wasn't really there. Um, you know, for, for others, uh, Father's Day is, is hard because, you know, um, a lost father, you know, father that is no longer here, um, for others of us, though Father's Day is, is a celebration. Perhaps you know y- you are a father, and so you know I know that there are new fathers here, and so and so it's a th- it's a celebration um, for some of you. The I, the role has changed from father to grandfather, and so and that's a, a an awesome celebration to be had. And and for others. Uh, the role of father is one that is a spiritual father. And we see that with Paul, especially in the New Testament, of this role of, of pouring and shaping and molding young lives. And so we realize that fatherhood, um, it, it comes with a mixed bag for all of us, that all of us have different experiences with it. And so my hope and my, uh, my goal today is to kind of lay a, a framework. You know, We're going to look at what's God's vision for fatherhood and what does it look like for us to celebrate that. You know how can we celebrate it um when we have you know all of us have a different mixed bag of experiences and emotions attached to uh to fatherhood so first let's let's talk about why is fatherhood important and I'm going to share a story that my dad actually shared with me um, but back in February of two thousand b b c reported a story uh in uh southern South Africa and uh Bull elephants and rhinos live amongst each other all the time, you know. And so in the wild, there's very, uh, it's rare that there's ever any kind of violent interaction. But for whatever reason, in this particular park, uh, they had a a very large group of young bull elephants. And their parents, they were orphaned. Their parents had their father, they've been taken from them. And so uh, in a period of around 10 years, these uh, young bull elephants, as they grew in size, their aggression grew also. And in a period of 10 years, there were about 36 rhinos that they killed. And so these elephants would get together, and they would roll over rhinos, and they would stomp them to death, and they would tuss them through. And so, you know, I mean, the game wardens, everybody is kind of, they're putting their heads together, like, what, what's going on? Like, how in the world is it that we can stop this? And they had found that something similar had happened in a different park. And so when they went there to say, hey, what have you guys done? Um, the park found that the solution that they had, come up with was that they introduced six full-grown adult male bull elephants. And those full-grown adult males put in check all those young adolescent bulls and those killings stopped. And so they immediately said, all right, we're going to send us 10, you know, we need 10 adult bulls like ASAP because we need the rhinos to <laughs> stop being killed. And I think it shows that this, this principle is true. And we see it in our society is that God intended for fathers, for father figures to matter, to make a difference. And they do. They're intended to lead. They're intended to guide. They're intended to set the standard for what it means to live appropriately, to live a life that matters. And so we see this, you know, just a, a couple, uh, I want to share some stats on fatherhood. So the, the need for fathers. In 1960, only 10% of families uh, were without fathers. And that, cl- that rate has climbed up to over 40% today. Children with fathers are less likely to be in poverty. In 2012, the U.S. Health Department reported that 47.6% uh, of those that had only a female uh, the head house were in poverty. Uh, children with fathers do better in school. 2001 Department of Education uh, did a study that uh, those that had fathers that were involved with their school were 43% more likely to receive A's, uh, and that without fathers, they were twice as likely to repeat a grade that children without fathers are more likely to be sexually active as teenagers. Without fathers, they're twice as likely to engage in sexual activity uh, early on and seven times to get pregnant as adolescents. And all of these stats are really just intended to show the very common-sense truth is that fatherhood is important, that fatherhood matters. Because we live in a day where that idea that fathers are important is pretty much up for debate. That, you know, it, if a single mom wants to raise, a, and listen, I was raised in a pretty much single mom house. My dad came in the picture later on in our life. You know, he was absent for about four years where I didn't really have much interaction with him. And so my mom did a lot of that. But my dad came later on in the picture. And I'm so grateful for my father. I'm so grateful for that relationship. And God's grace, you know, is able to sustain, is able to see through. But the reality is that that role of fatherhood is one that matters. It is important. How do fathers affect faith? So how does the role of a father affect the faith of of the children? Uh, There's the demographic characteristic of national minorities in certain European states. That's a very big title. Uh, They did a study in 1994, um, and it was particularly the Swiss country. Uh, They did a a survey of their population. And they always do these kinds of, you know, uh, these studies, but they asked a different question. And the question that they asked uh, was, to determine whether a person's religion carried through to the next generation. And if so, why? Or if not, why not? The result is dynamic, and there is one critical factor. It is overwhelming, and it is this. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that, above all, determines the future attendance at or absent from church of the children. If both, and I just want to read a a brief synopsis of this. If both father and mother attend regularly, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will end up attending irregularly. Only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing at all. If the father is irregular and mother regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regulars themselves, while a further 59% become irregulars, 38% will be lost. If the father is non-practicing and mother regular, if she attends consistently, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers, and 37% will attend irregularly. Over 60% of their children will be lost completely to the church. Let us look at, the, look, let us look at this the other way around. What happens if, fathers, uh, if the father is regular, but the mother irregular or non-practicing? Extraordinarily, the percentage of children become regular goes up from 33% to 38% with the irregular mother and to 44% with a non-practicing mother, as if loyalty to the father's commitment grows in proportion to the mother's laxity, indifference, or hostility. Before mother's despair, there's some consolation for faithful moms. (laughs) Where the mother is less regular than the father but attends occasionally, her presence ensures that only a quarter of her children will never attend at all. And so what that means is it means that mothers and their faithfulness show that there will be at least some affinity to the church and to Christ. And so it shows that there will still be a bond, even if it isn't as strong as one as there could have been. So even when, father, even when the father is an irregular attender, there are some extraordinary effects an irregular father and a non-practicing mother will yield 25% of their children as regular attenders in the future and a further 23% as irregulars. This is 12 times the yield where the roles are reversed. So I share this not to discourage moms. The reason I share this is because it is a declaration of the reality of what God has done in making fathers. Is it fatherhood matters and it makes a vital difference? and that we have to realize that because that role is under great attack. As you see, it, and I'm so thankful for mothers because unfortunately, but fortunately, most of the time you see is faithful women. Faithful women who are holding the baton or passing it down to the next generation. I mean such an example and what we desperately need is for fathers to exemplify that because it's very clear that that is one of the most impactful roles and places that they can do is is to lead their family. So. With that, let's dive in, and I hope that we realize that fatherhood is important, that it matters, that it makes a difference, and that God has designed it to do that. God has designed fatherhood to be impactful and make a difference. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend most of our time going through uh, a couple different verses. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is pretty much the classic text. And uh, then we're going to look at a couple other ones, Proverbs and uh, three Proverbs. So I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord proverbs 3:11 through 12 My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their father. So the big idea that's going to guide our time is this, is that God provided us with fathers to lead and guide us towards maturity in Christ. God has provided us with fathers to to lead and guide us towards maturity in Christ. We should respect and honor them. We should respect and honor them. So the breakdown is we're going to talk about the vision of fatherhood and the celebration of fatherhood. And most of it's going to be in the vision. So don't be like, oh my gosh, we're in the vision for like ever. He's going to, I'm not giving equal weight to the points. All right. Lest you despair. So vision, vision of fatherhood, verse four, it says in Ephesians uh, six, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I think the first thing that we need to talk about is what is a father? Where do we get our idea about a father? We live in a a culture and a time where roles are very much in flux and basically the individual decides what that role means. But for us as Christians, we believe that the roles that we look at are actually something that God has ordained, God has built in. And primarily when we think about fatherhood, we have an example and Jesus points us to his father, our heavenly father. And so when we look at fatherhood, we aren't just drawing from the air, picking out different ideas and things of what we think fatherhood looks like. But we actually have an example in our heavenly father. And so what does it mean that God is our heavenly father? How do we learn about fatherhood by looking to him? Well, obviously God is the creator of all. And so we have that there's some similarity between biological function of a father and also God's creation. You know, God created and therefore he is in in one sense, the father of all. But you see, the Bible really talks about the fatherhood of God in a much more unique sense. It very rarely talks about the fatherhood of God as his creative ability. It's more that he is the father because of his special relationship to his people, And so I think that there's three things that help us see God's fatherhood and its uniqueness. The first is God's fatherhood is found in his personal knowledge of us, that he knows us intimately. It's also found in his personal love towards us. And it's also thoroughly found in his personal guidance and responsibility of us. So you see that when Jesus is talking in Matthew 7, one of the most sobering passages in, in I think the whole Bible, he talks about people that were deceived. They, they thought that they were Christians and they weren't. And they come to him at the very end, you know, after they've died, they come to him and they say, didn't we do all these amazing things? And the critical factor is that he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. And so what it means that God is our father is it means that God knows us. It means that he doesn't know just about us, but there's this intimate connected relationship. Jesus talks about it as this like, one of the, the clearest ways he describes it is the shepherding role, that we know his voice and that he knows our name, that he knows us intimately and personally. And that's a sobering thing, to know that God knows us all the way, thick and thin, all the way through. I mean, when you get married, that's a sobering thought, right? Somebody isn't just, you know, you don't get to just present a face now. Now they actually get inside your life, you know, and they get to see all the nitty gritty, the weird, the strange things that you do. And and I mean, it is. I I've shared it many times. I roll my eyes because of Emily, you know, and she like has figured all kinds of weird things about me. And you you learn you learn things about people, but it's not just the quirky, but you learn things that where we fall short. Right? When you get close to somebody, you start seeing the the deficiencies in them. And that's the scary thing. That's the scary thing about relationships about real relationships, where you actually dig in, is that you can't put a mask on, is that that mask starts to fade away, and somebody sees those imperfections, they see those, the way that you're selfish. You know, I can be selfish sometimes. Just yesterday, I'm, my wife gave me a friend, I, I we were napping yesterday afternoon, and I heard the baby crying, and I walked up and went straight back to bed. And I was like, not my turn. And she, I woke up from the nap and she was like, well, I got a bone to pick with you, mister. <laughs> I was like, sorry. <laughs> but but you, you can't get away, right? I mean, you can't hide from the selfishness. It, 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 when you're in marriage, these things pop up. And the same thing is what it means for us to be, for God to be our father is that he knows us, right? I mean, my dad, my dad knows me. I remember times where he would be the first one to know if I wasn't abiding with the Lord. As I, I remember when I was 17, you know, 18, I'd come in and he'd be like, so when's the last time you spent time with Jesus? And I'm like, dang, man, how did you know? You know, and he could, he just, he knew me. He knew my character. He knew what that was like. And that's what it means in a, in a much more profound way that God is our father, that he knows you better than you know yourself. But it's not just that he knows about it; it's that he loves us. It's that he genuinely cares for us. And this is what Paul says. Paul says in Galatians 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And he he gave himself up for me. He died for me. And this is this personal knowledge that God, he doesn't just know me, but that he died for me personally, that he loves me. And that's what changes us to be Christians. This is what transforms our life. Not just when we know this, this concept of God, that yes, I, I can articulate that God loves people, that God loves, but when it strikes the core of who you are, this God that sees your sin, that sees your rebellion, that sees the many times that you've cast him off and you've chosen yourself over and over and over again, that he still loves you, that he still wants a relationship with you. And when that becomes not an idea, but it becomes a reality that strikes the core of who you are, it changes you. It changes you. And this is what it means that God is our father, is that he loves you. For he works all things together for good, for those that love him are called according to his purpose. When he he knows you and he loves you, that's what it means to be a father. But not only that, he's guiding you. Like any good father does, he is guiding. Psalm 23, I think, is such a good picture of it that he is our good shepherd and he leads us besides streams, besides green pastures, but also, also through the valley of the shadow of death. But he is with us. He's with us in the midst of those times so that we may not fear. And so like a good father, he is guiding us. And I've seen it in my life in stages where I don't understand God, why is it that I had to have my friend pass? Why is it my mom had breast cancer? Why is it that this, this whole venture where I thought that this was the direction my life was going, why did this happen? Why is it that I still struggle with these things? We don't always understand them in the moment. And sometimes we're not gonna understand them on this side of eternity, but he gives us enough to where we see that God is good and that he has a plan that he is guiding us in each stage. And I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that he has a better plan for my life than I do. Because if I would have gotten my plan, it would have been a train wreck (laughs) over and over again. And so God is our father because he guides us in each stage through the good and the bad. He is with us. And so this is what it means that God is our heavenly father, that he knows us, that he loves us, and that he is, he is guiding us. But here's the thing. How does that translate for us? How does that translate to being a father? Well, the first thing is that you have to receive that. You can sit here and you can know those ideas, but if you've never received the fatherhood of God into your life, then it's never going to truly transform you. I can look at other dads and say, oh, they do this good, they do that good, but I have to openly receive that into my life before it transforms me. You know, one of the things, I love my dad to death, and he did a great job as he grew in the Lord of, of shepherd me, but one of the biggest things that shaped me into how to be a dad is, is, is other godly men in the church, is that as I started to get plugged in, as I started to pursue Christ, there were other men that loved their wives, that served their families, that were faithful in their jobs that I wanted to learn from. I said, you know, I, I see the way that they live, and I want that. I want that. I see how they are faithful, and I want that, and so I started to do that, but it didn't happen at a distance, right? I didn't say, well, I see that from afar and that's really going to transform me. No, I had to get involved. They had to, they, and they openly, they invited me into their homes. I shared meals with them. I shared life with them. And over that period of time, Their fatherhood, their spiritual guidance, it shaped me and it molded me. And so too, you can look from afar at God the father and say, well, those are good principles. Those are high and lofty things. But until you, his arms are, as we saw his arms are stretched open wide until you come in and you're embraced by his fatherhood. You're embraced by his knowledge of you, his love and his guidance of you until you receive those things. You'll never reflect them. You'll never, it will never transform your fatherhood. And your guidance of others and so how do you receive the fatherhood of God well the first and most importantly is that you have to receive it by grace right Jesus shares his father with us all of us because of our sin we are orphaned we're separated from God and so in one sense he's our creator but he's not truly our heavenly Father because of our sin and our brokenness and so it's by grace that we are saved and listen this is such a we hear all the time you hear all the time from me but go talk to non-believers. I mean, if you have relationships with non-Christians, that idea doesn't make any sense because we perform. Our actions are what dictate our identity. I mean, you talk to people and that's what they think Christianity is. They confuse Christianity with religion almost all the time. Is it what it means to be Christian? Is it means that I do good things? I'm a good person and therefore God loves me. And you see, that's the exact opposite is that you'll never truly receive God's fatherhood if you think that you have to perform in order to get it. God's fatherhood is a gift given by grace. And the only way that you can receive it is by trusting that Christ is the one that is able to give it to you. That, that he died for your penalty, that he resurrected from the dead for your new life. And that by trusting in him alone, that he gives you the gift of God's fatherhood. And that changes you. I know for me, it changed how I felt. It changed my emotions, but it changed the reality is that there was a new identity that he gave to me and it began to reorient who I am and therefore how I act. And so you have to receive God's fatherhood by grace, realizing it's a gift by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So how does this practically impact us as earthly fathers? Right, We've received the fatherhood of God. How do we reflect it? What does it mean for us to reflect God's fatherhood? Well, I think one of the first things that it means to be a father is it means to be a leader. As we saw in the stats above, that fatherhood, listen, you cannot be a leader in every other area of your life. I mean, you might be a terrible leader when it comes to your workplace. You might be, you have no influence when it comes to your friends. I mean, you, you could have like, I mean, be the least influential person that you could possibly be. The moment you become a father, you immediately have a massive amount of influence. God has given you a role and a gift of leadership to guide, to mold, to serve. So how do you lead though? And that's the question. How do you lead? You ever notice the difference between, what's the difference between a a thermometer and a thermostat? Come on, audience participation. What's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? Control. Control, control, right? What does a thermometer do? It tells you the temperature, it just reads it right? So a thermometer is constantly adjusting to its surroundings. And so it doesn't really matter, you know, it, it, if it's hot, it reflects the temperature of the hotness. If it's cold, it reflects that temperature. What does the thermostat do? Sets it. It controls it. It sets it. In our leadership, are we thermometers or are we thermostats? Do we merely reflect the culture around us and are molded by it? Do we constantly sway depending upon who we're we're around or where we're at or what time we live? And I think that's one of the biggest ones. Are we most affected by the time period that we live in? Are we more impacted by the God that we follow? And so how do we not be thermometers and be thermostats? How do we help to set the spiritual climate in our homes? How do we seek to set the leadership in our families and around us I think the biggest way that we do that is through conviction. Is that what the difference between people and leaders and and fathers that are thermostats versus thermometers is that fathers that are thermostats that set the spiritual climate for their families do so because of conviction. They have conviction about things that are unalterable. They have lines drawn in the sand and they say, I will not pass this. This is true. I will not bend. I will not sway. I will hold fast to this because this is a non-negotiable. This is so vital and so important to me. And that is the difference. And I think that that's what every son looks to his father for. is They look to their father to see what it matters What is important? What is worth giving my life to? What is worth spending my time and my finances on? And they look up to dad for those things. And so they have an opportunity. Are you going to live a life of conviction? Are you going to live a life of temporary pleasure, giving sway to whatever seems appropriate at any given time? And so I want to talk briefly about some things that I think should help us, that we should have conviction on. As fathers, the first and foremost thing that we should have conviction on is that God is worthy. That God is worthy, that God is beautiful, that God is good. Because, listen, if you don't have conviction that God is worthy of your life, is worthy of your time, is worthy of your finances, then you're kidding yourself if your kids will. I mean, that is one of the most dangerous things I've unfortunately seen a lot in youth ministry is that I see a lot of parents that send their kids to church, or they send their kids to a youth camp, and they think it's their job to spiritually prepare them. But yet, their kids come home, and it's a joke in their house. Their parents maybe go to church, you know, once every 4 months or Christmas and Easter, and they think that because they sent their kids off to Christian school or to some spiritual camp that their kids are going to become serious about Christ. Their kids look at their parents and see that it's a joke to them. It's it's things that kids play with. It's not things that adults take seriously. And so the biggest and most important thing for you as a father is that you personally have to believe that Christ is worthy. That Christ is worthy, not just of a, it's not just a game you play, it's not just a a pittance of time and energy, but it's your life. Because if you don't believe that Christ is worthy, then that's going to trickle down to your children, and that it, it's not a duty, but He is. Good gracious, man, there's so much more joy in Christ than there is in the world. I mean, like practically, I experience it. I mean just confessional. I mean, so Friday, there are some things that are going on in our neighborhood and I had the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to to get out and to give them my time, give them my energy and serve. And there's so much more joy. In the afternoon, I went spear fishing and I had a, a, a great time, got a spear, you know, a nice gag grouper. And which for me is like, awesome. Can I tell you, I found far more joy in serving them than I did in satisfying myself. Far more joy. And I promise you, there is more joy in serving others and exemplifying that God is worthy than there is in satisfying ourselves. And so we have to believe that there's more joy to be found in, in serving Christ and giving our life to him than there is in satisfying ourselves. And, and it's that God is good, that God is beautiful and pointing to that in all the different aspects of our life. So that God is worthy. And it means that we order and follow Christ ourselves. And we see this in Proverbs. It says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And that word integrity, it means to be a whole unit. It means that you don't act differently when you're around different people, right? That when you're around this group, your language, your mannerisms, your values change. And when you're around this group, you act like, you know, you're very holy and that these things are very important that you are the same person everywhere you go. And it says that a righteous man, one that lives according to the standards, that, that we live out what we talk about. And listen, it's not perfection. Good gracious. It's actually far from that. You know, the times that I've respected my dad the most are the times where he's come and confessed his shortcomings, times where he's admitted where he's fallen short. And so one of the things that I think marks us as men is not all the things that we do right, but what is it that happens when we fall short, when we sin? Do we come and do we admit those things? Do we, do we ask for their forgiveness? Do we acknowledge our need for grace? John Piper says, and so the most important question a father can ask is not what shall I teach my children, but rather who am I before the living God and before my children? And so the question is, is we can... We can play a game for a little while, but what you sow, you will reap it. And we see that in children especially, is that over time, what you begin to sow, it will begin to sprout up. And man, I'm so glad that God is gracious and that he is sovereign and that he can break those chains. Man, because some of you are sitting here testifying, you're thinking about your families, you're like, man, I'm so glad that God broke that chain in my family and that he's using you to set your family free. And to begin to leave a different legacy than what was left to you. And so grateful for that. But you can continue and you can make a a greater impact for your family. So I want to dig into verse 4 now a little bit more in depth. Because verse 4 is very practical for us as fathers. He says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he gives us something not to do. He says, don't provoke your child to anger, right? That's a good idea. Don't do that. So, but what does he mean by anger? Does he mean that anytime your kid is ready to get angry, you placate them? You're like, all right, listen, whatever you want, just don't get angry. No, absolutely not. So what he's meaning here is he's saying that there is a way to parent that will leave your child with a lifelong resentment and bitterness and frustration against you and against life in general. And I've seen it in people, and at times I've experienced myself. I think that was one of the reasons I went through a, a very large stage in my adolescence where I was just angry at everything and everyone. Got into all kinds of fights and so much trouble. And it was because there was this deep anger and this deep resentment inside of me because of what had happened through my parents' divorce. And if there's not any healing in that, and I'm so grateful that God is gracious and he allowed me to process through that and to be healed from that. But if that's not healed from, man, that can last for a lifetime and continue to destroy relationships. So, and anger is so devastating to the soul. I don't know if any of you have struggled with anger. or You have it. There's different expressions. Some people just pop off the top. Some people just stuff it down and it builds this deep bitterness and this deep resentment that keeps going and going. And almost gives us cynicism about relationships in general, about what it means to love and be known. And so anger is it, because it, it clouds our ability to think clearly, right? I mean, when you're in the midst of anger, you're not thinking clearly. You're thinking, and how can I justify whatever I want to do, right? I'm frustrated right now, and I want to get this, and so I'm going to give any kind of rationalization I can to get me there. You know, like, I'm right, and they're wrong, and let me give you all the reasons why, and so anger is such a dangerous thing because we make foolish decisions when we're angry. We make foolish, foolish decisions when we're angry. So if it's not not making someone angry, because here, if you love somebody, if you really love somebody, there are going to be times where you get angry at them or they get angry at you. I mean, it can't, you can't have a genuine relationship where there's never any conflict, when there's never any time where someone else angers you. Because, I mean, you look at how Christ operates and there are times where what he does or how he operates in our life is going to frustrate us or we're not going to understand it. And so it's not it's not never making sure that your children, your children are going to be angry at you sometimes, right? You're going to lay down boundaries and lay down rules and they're sometimes going to be really frustrated that you did that. You know, they want the cookie now or they, you know, they want to go out with their friends at this time. I mean, whatever it is, there are going to come times where you have to say no. You have to draw those boundaries. So so how is it, how is it that we are not to leave our children with a settled disposition of, of bitterness or of resentment? Well, I think that he comes and he says that we are to do it. Well, let me say a couple things. First, I think that it matters, fathers. How do you handle disrespect? So I think that's a huge thing. How do you handle when someone disrespects you? Because that's a big thing, at least for me, that's a big thing is when I feel disrespected, then the anger starts to pop up, right? So what do you do when you're disrespected? How do you handle it when your kids don't obey you, when they don't do what you've called them to do? Because that's a huge thing, because how you handle that can leave a lifetime impression upon your children. And it's not always what you do, but it's how you do it. That's something I've, I've grown in realizing is that you can say the right thing, but if your volume is too loud or in the way that you express it is wrong, that will leave a big impression upon them. And so what do you do when you're disrespecting? How is it that you express that? How do you speak and you treat your children when they have failed or fallen short? The second thing I think that helps us realize, like, how do we not leave our children in this place of resentment and of bitterness is he says that we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I want to focus on that in the discipline and instruction of. So what this is, is that this is a balance between training and instruction or nurture and admonition, right? This, this idea of discipline is this idea of firmness, That when when you're raising up a child, there has to be this sense of firmness, this sense of structure, this sense of this organization, right? That this is how things are going. There has to be these set boundaries, or else they're not able to truly grow and truly thrive. But at the same time, it can't just be firmness. It can't all be firmness, but there has to be counsel. There has to be admonition. There has to be encouragement and loving and building up. You have training and discipline, firmness of boundaries, and then you have instruction or counseling, listening, coaxing, loving, bringing them along. And what happens if you don't have the right balance between these two? Right, what happens if you're just all disciplined and you discipline in anger and in frustration? You're going to leave your kids with scars. They're going to be wounded by their father. They're always going to be scared. They're not going to come to you because they don't feel safe. They're not going to confide in you. And therefore, they're going to have a really hard time when it comes to marriage, when it comes to close relationships, actually opening up because they're worried about how they're going to be received or what's going to happen. They're, they, and they're going to, sometimes they that gets pushed on to God the Father and they think that God the Father is like that when he's not. So, over-disciplining, you know, never talking, never counseling. And here's the other thing, under-disciplining. And, and, so let's provide the motives too. Why is it that people over-discipline? Why is it that people are so strict and never provide any grace? I think part of it is because sometimes it's living vicariously through them, right? That they, they have to live the life that I didn't or it's that they reflect me. Their actions reflect me and I will not have that kind of reflection be upon me. And so you see that the strictness isn't actually one of love and of care. It's one of self-interest, it's one of that my reputation is at stake and I can't have my reputation be at stake. And therefore, I will bring the rod quickly and fiercely in order that that would not happen. Now, why is it that people under discipline, right? You, you see parents that are so afraid of ever spanking or ever providing any boundaries that they let their kids completely do whatever they want at any time. And why is that? Why is it that, that, and you see this through, we're going to always counsel, and you need to understand exactly what you've done wrong before there's any kind of consequence or there's any boundaries. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's healthy. I think that you should want to talk to your children and talk through them of what they've done, but there needs to be structure at times. Listen, your kid doesn't need to understand fully and, and finally why crossing the street and running across the street is a bad thing, right? They need to know that it's not good and that they shouldn't do it. Later on in life, as they grow, they're going to understand why that is. But there's going to become times in life where they're not going to fully understand everything that they need to. For, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't provide structure, that you shouldn't provide boundaries or even consequences for disobedience for that. That's something that's growing in. But sometimes we underdiscipline because we're, we desire our children's approval of us because we've confused parenting with Friendship because we don't really truly have good social peers around us. And so we are searching for that longing for that fulfillment in our children. And so we turn to them for validation. We turn to them for fulfillment. And we are no longer able to be capable parents. And so we, we never discipline. And it hurts them so drastically. It hurts them. They need they need to be loved. They need to be cared for in a way that sets them free. And we see this this next part is that you're to bring them up, right? So you're to bring them up. Bringing is a process, right? The point of parenting is to lead them into maturity, is to lead them independence. It's not to have them staying with you until they're 40, right? That's, that's not the goal of parenting is for your kids to live with you in your basement when they're 45, right? That's, that's not the ideal. Obviously, you know, I mean, there are extreme circumstances out there, but they're very rare, very, very rare, so the goal is to help them to, to reach maturity, to be independent. And what this means is that's a process. That's a process of developing them. And it's two things. Is it one, they shouldn't be just shoved out. I mean, you have, you have some parents who are like, can't wait, get out. Right? I mean, give, giving them the boots. And so, listen, it's, it's, it's not this desire for radical independence, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of. And in some ways, it doesn't look like I'm just going to kick you out of the house, but it looks like, it looks like not allowing kids to be kids. And this is so sad is that you see sometimes children's child, childhoods are stripped from them because of maybe fighting within the family or they're given roles or expectations that they shouldn't have. And so it's trying to redeem that and allow them to actually be children and not be adults too soon. But it's that process of slowly and surely bringing them along and over time communicating more and more and giving them more and more responsibility so that by the time they sh- they're ready to leave the home, they're fully capable to. And that's not the role of the school. That's not the role of the church. That's the role of the family. That's the role of dad and mom to equip their kids to be ready for those kinds of responsibilities. So you need to sit down and talk with your children and lead them in that. So it's not, it's not kicking them out too soon. It's not giving them too much responsibility. But at the same time, it's not. And you see this, unfortunately, in our culture growing on parents that enable parents that say, listen, we're going to protect you. We're not going to let you fail. We're not going to let you fall. We're not going to let you go through hard times. Instead, we're going to smooth every bump. And you're never going to really understand what that means. And listen, that's not helpful either. And when you see that in the eagle's nest, when the chicks refuse, the parents kick them out. They get them out. They say, listen, it's time to fly and you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn because that's where true. And I'm so grateful that our heavenly father does that. Does not our heavenly father do that to us? He he at times puts us through extremely difficult situations because you're going to only learn to fly if you're, if you're put through this and we have to allow children to go through those things. It doesn't mean that we don't care. It's in fact, the opposite. It means that we do care. It means that we do care and we trust our heavenly father more than we trust ourselves and that we're able to give them over to him. And so I think that it's, it's these things it's this process of bringing them along and listen, there's a, there's a lot of grace in that. Good gracious. There's a lot of grace because all of us, we need a community to figure it out. No no one of us has an imperfection. I mean, I've got lots of experience with a four-month-old. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I've got so much to learn. And I'm so grateful that I get to share, you know, life with you guys. You know, some of you have done this for many years. I'm so grateful for your experience and for your love, you know, because there's lots of areas I'm going to blow it. <laughs> The last part is, is that we're to do it of the Lord, right? You're to bring them up in the, in the instruction and the, the discipline of the Lord. And so the goal of this is that they would, they would grow in Christ. And I hope that when you think about, what do you dream your, for your children? When you think about your children at age 25, 30, is the thing that you're thinking about their financial freedom? Is it thinking about their quality of marriage or the grandchildren they're going to give you or what type of job they have? Is that the dream that you have for your children? Or do you dream something bigger? Do you dream something more impactful? Do you dream something for eternity? That my children are going to be those that faithfully love the Lord? That they're going to be investing in their life where they're going to see the greatest returns and that's in the kingdom? Do you dream that kind of dream? Because if you do, it's going to shape how you interact with your children as you're developing, as you're bringing them along. And so three things that I think if if your goal as a parent is to raise up children that love Jesus, then three things I would say, first, be committed to pray for them. And you can't save your kids. I don't care who you are. I don't care how godly a life you live. You can't save your kids. You can't ensure that they're going to be Christians. That's a humbling thing for every single person. And I pray, and before Theo was born, I've been praying for him that he knows that he knows the Lord. That in all of our parenting, we're seeking to point to him. But that's something only God can do. And so I pray for his salvation. And every night, I mean, I'm praying for him to come to know Jesus. Second thing is, you need to share your testimony with your kids. Now this doesn't mean all the gritty, nitty details of it. But you need to bring them up, helping them to know that, listen, mommy or dad, daddy's a sinner. He's broken. He falls short. But he needs God's grace. And so you need to constantly be opening up about your faults and about your failures and about how you lean upon Jesus. Because if they see this perfect mask where everything's expected to be A-OK and I put a mask on before everybody else, but at home I'm a whole different person, they're going to live out that hypocrisy. But instead, model for them what it means to be centered on grace. And that when we fall short, we turn not to ourselves, but we turn to God. And so share your testimony. Open your life to them. Bring them in. And the third thing is that Live a life of integrity and consistency. Live a life of integrity and consistency. Practice what you preach. And this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, is that we're either going to be those that know God's word or do God's word. Let us be those that do God's word, actively live it out. Now, how do we do these? How do we strive for these things? Because I gave you information. My goal, though, is to have your heart transformed by the gospel. Right? What does it mean that Jesus Christ died for your sin and what rose again from the dead? So the gospel, the good news that though you're broken, you're still loved, It it is the very power that allows us to do all of these things. So if you're over-disciplining, right? You're finding your validation in your children, you're finding your validation in protecting your reputation, right? You They have to be perfect. They have to be right. The, the reason you're doing that is because you haven't believed the gospel. You haven't believed that, Your identity is found in Christ and what he has done for you, not in your performance. You're still living out a work salvation through your children. And you're thinking that, man, if my kids are just good enough, then I'll get the approval that I so need. Rather than saying, because Christ is good enough, I get the approval and the fulfillment that I'm so longing for. Your problem is one that you're not believing the gospel. You're not believing grace. If you're under disciplining, you're needing your children's affirmation you need them to validate you as a person. Why? Why do you need that? It's because you are not finding your validation of what Christ says of you. You're not believing that he really says that you are loved, that you're really worthy because of Jesus. And you're instead going to other false gods. And listen, it's gonna destroy your children if you're seeking their validation. They are, your children might be great children, but guess what they're terrible at, being God. They suck at it. They're really terrible at being God. And so don't put them in that position because they're gonna fail at it. Overly dependent, right? You're, if your children are staying with you, right, and and you, you once again, you're using your children for something they can't give you. Only Christ can. Same thing, pushing pushing them out too soon. Listen, Christ's grace enables us to give of ourselves. It enables us to die to ourselves, to sac- to sacrifice ourselves for the betterment of our children. Is it's, it's not about us. It's about dying to ourselves that they might grow. And that means that we, we might at times have to do hard things. We might have to take on heavier loads in order that they would still be able to be children, that they wouldn't take that on too soon. And the last thing is that the gospel gives us a genuine testimony, is that when we really believe the good news that Christ died for our sin and rose again from the dead, that it allows our testimony not to be something that's a fraud, but allows it to be true and to be genuine. His grace comes in and really does show our sin. And then we really can tell them that God has healed us. So I hope you see that the gospel is what changes. It enables us to be good parents. It enables us to be good fathers. So the last thing, now we're in part two, right? And this is only going to be short. This is not going to be as long as the other one. So how do we celebrate fatherhood? How do we celebrate it? I think three things. First, I think the way that you can celebrate fatherhood is if you're a child, I think it's through obedience and respect. I think fathers feel greatly honored. If you're, still, if you're a kid and you're still in the home, the way that you celebrate your dad is by obeying him. Can I tell you that when you obey your dad, he's going to feel honored and he's going to feel respected by that? And so choose to do that. Choose to respect. And if, listen, if you're out of the home, like I'm out of the home. I mean, I'm not, you know, love my dad, but I'm not, no longer obeying my dad. But I respect him. I respect him. And so when I'm going through things in life, I call him. I say, hey, dad, what do you think about this? I want, your, I want your advice. I want your input. You matter to me. It means I give him time. And so I, I, I call up and I'll give him time, even when I'm busy or things are hectic. And so I want him to know that, that I respect him. Listen, if you don't have a biological dad or your relationship with your biological dad is, is broken, I want you to you need to find someone that is able to pour into you, that's able to mentor you, that's able to be that kind of father figure in your life. That's vital. That is so important. That's transformed who I am. So obedience and respect. The next way that we can celebrate Father's Day is by forgiveness and reconciliation. And some of you, you have not been able to forgive your dad. Your dad has done things or has not done things and it's scarred you. And so I want you to be able to celebrate Father's Day by forgiving, by actually choosing to let go of those things. And if it's possible, to maybe even pursue reconciliation. I know for me, there are times where my parents divorced and things were harmful and hurtful. And there are times where my dad and I sat down and talked about that. And it's been so healing to our relationship to be able to talk through some of those things. And so, too, there might be things in your relationship with your dad or maybe your relationship with your son or your daughter where you need to initiate. And maybe, listen, if you're a believer, it's on you. Don't point the finger and say, well, they're the older one. They're the father. They should do it. Listen, if you're the believer, it's on you to initiate that. You can't make them be reconciled, but you can initiate that process, and you can surely seek to forgive as you've been forgiven. And then the last thing, I think, for how we celebrate is encourage and affirm. And fathers have a bad rap sometimes and they really need encouragement. Even if your dad had failed in a lot of different areas, seek to find the areas in which you're thankful and affirm him. Encourage him in those areas. Whether that is, you know, grabbing something to eat, finding time, and just saying thanks, Dad. Thanks that, you know, I know that there are some brokenness, I know there's some things where we didn't see eye to eye, but thanks that you were there, thanks that you tried because realize this, maybe your father's failure was a result of his father's failure and his father's failure. You never really know what your dad went through until you get older. You know, I remember my dad talking to me and sharing things about his dad. And even in processing the sermon, I got to think, and man, I didn't really know what my dad went through with his dad, What, what, how his father impacted his ability to father. And so you don't know what your dad was going through when he was parenting you. And so Man, seek to find those good things and seek to affirm him. Seek to encourage him. So the application is we close in prayer, or well, we close in prayer and then worship. The practical application is that be a father figure to someone. Encourage someone. If you're here and you're like, hey, I'm not even a male. Listen, for for the women out there, for the mothers, man, encourage that role. Encourage it. Whether you're married to a father or, or whether you know of fathers, encourage them in that role. Affirm them. And encourage them. Build them up to be that. To be that godly man that you would desire, that, that God desires. For us as, as men, whether you're a biological father or not, my encouragement to you is that we have never before in our culture seen this amount of, of men be fatherless go through out of time without any idea of what does it mean to love a wife, to raise a family, to serve faithfully. There's a whole generation that has no idea what that looks like, and they're drawing from air to figure it out. And this is, there's so much opportunity in this. Go be, go be a father figure to someone. Go pour into someone. There's so many opportunities, even within our own church. It's just look around, and it's so simple. It's having people over, inviting them into your family. It's saying that my family, it doesn't exist for itself, but it exists for the glory of God. And therefore I'm going to use my, and bring my family into mission rather than forgetting the mission of God and doing what we want to do. Bringing them in, inviting them in for a meal, hosting them over, whether that's big brothers, big sisters, whether that's, man, there's so much opportunity in the school system. Go and be a mentor, pour into someone, you know, even in this church. And so my encouragement to you is, is, is get outside of yourself and invite other people into your life. Be a mentor, be a father figure to someone else and see God will change their life. And God, I think through us doing that as a church, God can begin to change our culture. God can begin to change our city as we do that. And so that's my, that's my encouragement to you. That's my challenge to you as we hopefully get to do that together. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful that you are my heavenly father and that where my earthly father's fallen short and where our earthly father's fallen short, we can look to you as a perfect example, God. Today, help us to be thankful. Uh, help us to be grateful for the, the fathers that you have given to us, Lord. I pray that you would equip us, encourage us, and send us out, God, that we would be um, the men that you've called us to be. We love you. It's the end of your prayer, Jesus, amen.